This is In the Arena, the Colorado Concern podcast that explores the intersection of business and politics. I'm your host, Mike Kopp. Well, I'm so pleased to be joined today by Professor Andrew Schnackenberg. And Dr. Schnackenberg, you have uh, been gracious to give us some of your time today. And you're with the Daniels College of Business Department of Management right here in Denver. And we're so delighted you could join us today and give your perspective about uh, this unfolding saga of COVID-19 here in the United States and the world. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on. We found you, um, Doctor, because we at Colorado Concern, one of the things that we're exploring is really this spectrum. On on one hand, you have, um, I suppose, the viewpoint that we should stay as closed economically as possible for as long as is necessary. And on the other end of the spectrum, and feel free to disagree with my characterization of this, on the other end of the spectrum, you have more of the viewpoint that is, look, you gotta, you gotta just open widely and let people develop herd immunity. We'll get there faster, it's manageable, and we can move on with our lives. That's really the, the spectrum that I see uh, here in in American um, political discourse these days. And I hear it a lot from different members of Colorado Concern and you hear it, you see it, you know, you see uh, viewpoints expressed all along that spectrum, obviously in the popular media. And my point in bringing that up is that our elected officials who are really driving these policy decisions and setting the tone and the agenda for our reopening strategies here in the state and beyond, obviously are responding to what the public feels and what the public thinks is safe or unsafe. And I have to say, I found your research to be fascinating and I thought it might shed a little bit of a light uh, for our members and our listeners, if we could take a look at some of your findings. So could you uh, give us a little bit of the overview of what you've uh, researched here? And actually it'd be fascinating to find out a little bit of your story about why you chose to dive into this area. Sure. So, yeah, basically this study, we recently completed a study on, if you want to call them the trade-offs between opening the economy and the health implications of our collective efforts to fight COVID. The interest around the survey itself was driven mostly by my personal interest in just wanting to know what people felt about this. So we collected data a few weeks ago and have since analyzed it, asking a variety of questions about uh, individuals' experiences, direct and indirect, with COVID their perceptions about this potential economic tipping point beyond which we will want to open the economy in order to enable us to breathe a little bit, uh, regardless of where we're at uh, with our fight against COVID. And we received a strong response. I would say I agree with your characterization uh, as sort of open versus closed right now in our fight against COVID. What the data suggests in general is that folks by and large recognize this uh, as, a, as a going concern uh, at an equal level with our fight against COVID. So the economy is weighing heavily on folks' minds. And another uh, interesting trend in the data is that everybody seems to be experiencing this in very different ways. So Republicans have different views relative to Democrats, as you might imagine. Republicans uh, tend to 
fall on the side that think the economy should be open sooner rather than later. Democrats a little bit later. Uh, there's old versus young age differences in how people are viewing this. Older folks tend to view uh, the economy as less of a concern, possibly because they're at a higher mortality risk if they were to contract COVID. Those who have been exposed to the virus, surprisingly, are more interested in us moving ourselves more towards economic normal, which is a bit unexpected. So the only real explanation we could come up with for that was that folks who have had COVID or know of somebody in their immediate or extended family who have had COVID are maybe not experiencing it as dramatically as we might expect given what's in the media. So you can imagine, for example, somebody who might have contracted COVID, went to the hospital, was told they were positive, went home, wasn't admitted. Uh, this is, you know, we're talking about 95% roughly of those who have contracted COVID, you know, maybe had some some sleepless nights, maybe had a fever, but then wakes up uh, maybe a week later and seems to be free of any symptoms, looking around his or her social network and seeing the state of the economy, friends and family being unemployed, et cetera. You can imagine why those folks might view the economy as more of a serious issue than we might generally assume given what we see in the media. So the data suggested that that might be the case uh, given how many of those folks said that they were uh, more concerned about the economic implications of our efforts to fight the virus. Healthcare workers uh, seem to be slightly more interested in the health implications of the virus, not so interested in the economic implications as you can imagine. And of course, furloughed or laid off employees were much more interested in the economic side of our fight against the virus. So all these factors come together in a single individual to, put to, to, to kind of present themselves as a very complex picture of our collective sentiment towards COVID-19. Some folks are gonna be strongly on one side of that equation, others are gonna be strongly on the other. And how we really start to reopen the economy, I think is, is a very tricky question. And uh, it needs to be thought of in some very sophisticated ways. I can, I'd be happy to speak more about those if you'd like. Yes, I, I would. I'm, it's, it is a little bit fascinating to hear that um, even this discussion is not free of politics. Uh, I guess that's not so surprising, but, but the, granular distinction that the Republicans and Democrats make with respect to the pace of reopening is pretty interesting. By all means, I think if we could go through some of the data points that you found most interesting and useful for our community of leaders, that'd be great. Sure. Well, I think overall, one thing that I think is noteworthy is the, the metric that people are looking at the most right now in order to basically weigh or gauge our effectiveness in our fight against COVID is the new diagnosed cases per day. So that's important because economically speaking, people's sentiment towards our success or failure against COVID are largely predictive of our broader sort of discretionary sentiment. So if you want to think of it as people, people are, are only going to feel comfortable coming back into the economy when they see some sort of trend of positivity in the numbers that they're seeing out of this, out of this uh, virus. So again, why does that matter? Why is that important? Well, I think we've approached opening the economy in two specific ways. There's the supply side and the demand side. And the supply side includes, for example, organizations' ability to even open their doors right now, their ability to operate on a normal schedule, to hire back the employees that they furloughed. Those are all supply side issues right now with, with the economy that we've largely intervened in in order to slow the spread of COVID. 
but there's a far less emphasized side of this, which is the demand side, which is even if you let restaurants open and operate normally, are people going to show up? How are they feeling about the safety of going out and things like that? So the opening up the economy has to take into account both of these sides of the equation, the supply side, when are companies allowed to open? And what state are we in as a community on the demand side? Are we healthy enough to handle normal economic activity? Or is there some benefit in staying sheltered in place or at least withholding our full engagement from businesses in order to gain more confidence in the safety of going out and participating in the economy? And the, the problem that I see with the data we collected is to a large extent, the numbers that people are paying attention to are not very good indicators of how successful we are against this virus. So, the, for example, the number of new diagnosed cases per day is a function of how many tests we're administering on a daily basis. And that has fluctuated. It's gone up. It's, it's stalled, et cetera. So how do you really know what our current level of success is against this virus if you're just looking at that number? So I think a lot of folks, and again, the, I, would, I would probably say that the media in, in many ways is um, fed into this, have, have become quite pessimistic you know, about their prospects of going out in public without a mask uh, and so forth. And, and some of that is obviously very much uh, valid. You know, this is a serious virus. We need to take it seriously. But how quickly can we get those folks who feel very anxious about going out comfortable get their consumer sentiment up again so their discretionary spending will go up again. Those are the big questions that I think we need to answer on the demand side to get the economy rolling again. And again, the data suggests that we, uh, we're, we're in a difficult position there because the data, the, the numbers that people are looking at in order to build their confidence are not exactly reliable, uh, if you will. Yeah. Well, there's an interest, a couple of interesting items to observe here. Um, over the weekend, I was out around town in Denver, and I went to a Home Depot, and there was this incredible line out the door, and everybody was standing there six feet apart for quite a distance with masks on. And I observed that, and I thought, wow, this is, I was a little surprised. Uh, it was really nice out, but I was, I was still really surprised that seemed like the parking lot was jammed. It seemed like kind of an ordinary Saturday at Home Depot. Do you pick up in the, the research that you did anywhere? What um, any, I guess any kind of proxies for the readiness that the American public has to get back to um, life as usual? Well, in our data, no, but I think there are quite a few studies out there who have done specifically that and uh, the most recent numbers that I can remember are you know folks are quite scared of things like going to bars and restaurants uh, particularly so we're talking about 75% of folks say that they would be somewhat reticent to go back to a bar or restaurant right now and upwards of 85% to get on an airplane and these are the sort of psychological traumas that we've seen inflicted on the American public based on this virus it's nobody's fault it's just what you have when you have a virus what we want to do is make sure that we don't uh, amplify those psychological effects by paying particular attention to only the darkest side of this virus. That's one thing you don't want to do. And at the same time, you want to be mindful and smart about the fact that this is uh, truly uh, a virus that has public health implications and we want to be intelligent about how we navigate it. So what I think you see right now in general in the, in the sort of consumer base when you go out is you see folks who are yearning for normality. 
we see folks who want to get back to a version of normality. And what's, what's the, the challenge from an organizational perspective is what they're experiencing when they go back into, say, Home Depot is not what they remember as being normal. They're not used to being six feet apart. They're not used to wearing a mask. They're not used to operating and in, in, in being so overly conscious about who they're talking to or how far apart they are and things like that. Now, this just matters, again, because the psychological side of consumer sentiment and discretionary spending and demand really is affected by all these things. And as an organization, one thing you would definitely want to be prepared for is triggered customers, you know, people who are uh, really, really close to just on the edge, uh, wanting to return to normality, maybe going through something, as we just mentioned, through the data. Maybe they're older, maybe they're of a specific political affiliation, maybe they're a healthcare worker or not, maybe they're furloughed or laid off, you just don't know. And as they interact with organizations who are not sort of opening in a way that reminds them purely of normality, they can present challenges uh, for the organization. And I think you've seen some of this in the media too, where we have customers coming into companies and throwing fits or getting into arguments with each other around relatively benign things. But largely this is just a, you know, just a reaction to the broader trauma that we're experiencing. And so I would look at this purely as an organization. I would look at this as an opportunity. I think uh, organizations have an opportunity to go above and beyond with, with customer service. Uh, I also think you know, uh, many organizations can be a little bit lenient with their policies. And I think you know, government entities, politicians should also sort of keep this in mind that you know, the strict policies that, that are being implemented right now are driving, are, are kind of affecting folks in maybe not intended ways. They're, they're meant to be safe, and we understand that. You know, six feet apart, masks, all the rest of it. But again, just taking into account that folks are gonna come at this in different ways. They're gonna be in different places when they walk into the store. And in order to keep people moving socially in the right direction, it might make sense to be somewhat lenient with those policies, or at least flexible with them in different ways, uh, to keep the uh, morale elevated, if you will. Because again, all of this, if you think about it, I would argue would be tactics to try to elevate and bolster uh, psychological well-being so that the demand side of our economy can come back sooner than later so that people won't be quite as afraid or nervous or anxious or angry when they uh, encounter or approach an organization. Well, it sounds like in, in some sense you are saying that if politicians, I'm putting words in your mouth. <laughs> if politicians were to say, we're fully open, have at it, exercise individual responsibility, you should wear a mask, be clean, all that kind of stuff. It sounds like in a theoretical situation, if that were to happen, that you're maybe suggesting that the, the market dynamic um, showing up on the demand side would sort of be the mediating element. Some, some people would engage that because they feel comfortable and confident that they could keep themselves safe. And a segment of the market or the population would not because they, they wouldn't. I'm not saying that's politically viable, but is that uh, close to what you're getting at? Yeah, I think you would see uh, quite a bit of social angst. And again, uh, we've only tapered, we've only barely opened the economy and you're, and you're kind of already seeing a lot of protests uh, on both sides of the equation. Uh, folks are upset that the economy has still been shuttered in, in many places and then others are angry that it's opening up. I think it just is a very delicate balance between the two. However, I do think, you know, at the end of the day, 
you know, at some point, and again, the data supports this that we collected, I believe, we need to come to grips with this as an economic normal. I mean, the virus is simply not going to disappear in the next year or two. It's uh, it, it, the rate at which it, it spreads, it slows, will ebb and flow. We know that. But there will be no viable vaccine in the next six months, as far as we know. And treatments are for the those who are extremely sick. You know, they're not just over-the-counter treatments. So this virus is going to be with us, and we need to start to approach economic normal again. I believe that. But in order to do that in a way that bolsters economic activity, gives us the best shot in the state, I think we have to be extremely mindful of the demand side trauma that we've gone through. And that, again, like, as you mentioned, I, I, I agree with your characterization here. Some folks are going to be eager to get back out there and then others are going to have a big problem with that. You know, they're not going to, and they're going to make their, their feelings probably known. And, I, you know, if you've gone out enough recently, you, you probably even feel the sort of anxiety, the, the spike in anxiety that we're all feeling as some folks get dirty looks for not having masks on and others get dirty looks for touching something too much or whatever it might be. There's just a very heightened level of consciousness there that, that can really uh, disrupt economic activity if it's not handled kind of delicately. Uh, so we don't, want, we don't want people to get scared away from businesses, from interacting, from going out to restaurants and being in public places. At the same time, we want people to be safe and it's, it's a tricky balance. Yeah, it is for certain. I mean, that's, that is very much the space we're going to find ourselves in societally for quite some time here. I started raising another topic earlier, and that is um, about what we have learned um, about doing commerce here in the U.S., right, really around the world now in the last six or seven weeks as it relates specifically to critical services, uh, grocery stores and banks and things of this nature. Um, we didn't know how well we would perform. How could we? We've never tried this before as a society. And yet things have worked pretty well, I would say, in terms of mitigating the risk. It's obviously suboptimal. Nobody likes to be isolated. Nobody likes to stand six feet away and, and uh, sort of try to figure out these transactions where you, you really need to find a way to get closer, you know, to hand a credit card or to sign something. Um, but did you, have you had a chance to, to look into that factor about the components of doing commerce that we have learned um, and that we could apply going forward? Um, and the reason I ask this is I believe this is a really underreported part of our story. I think so much of the broader narrative is kind of around open or shut and really a, more of a fear-based narrative. And, and I understand that. Nobody wants this. Um, but at the same time, we have learned a lot. We've, we've been quite successful in many respects, and we're not starting from zero now. We, we're starting with quite a world of information and experience um, now behind us. Um, can you comment on that in the in the research that you've done and uh, or maybe uh, research that you intend to do on this? Yeah, yeah, no, I think those are excellent points and really, really good questions. So I, I would say, you know, a, a number of things. I think when you look at where we're at today, I, one thing that is striking is we are in a far different place than we were in early March. Um, just picture back when somebody would say to you, for example, you know what, I really don't want to catch the flu this year. Well, that would imply I'm going to wash my hands a little bit more. And you know what? It was effective. 
<laughs> it was effective. And so taking that very minimal approach to not contracting the flu, and then you compare that with where we're at right now in our fight against COVID, even when we're interacting in public, we are extremely conscious of this thing uh, to the extent that we're going to the, the lengths, the extreme lengths that we've gone to with the masks and the social distancing and the, and the sheltering in place and so forth. And it, it, it really is a complete swing in a lot of ways socially from where we have ever been in our treatment of disease. So even if we do move slightly back into an economic normal, I, I am, and there's no immediate data on this yet, I think it's too fresh, but you know, conventional wisdom would suggest that we are now highly trained in a new way, you know, and yeah, in right, we're, right. we're behaving differently than we ever have in the past. So does that elevate our ability to stave off the spread of COVID-19? I mean, my hypothesis would be yes, but I haven't collected any data. Uh, concerning future research, there is something that occurs to me, doctor, uh, that is the way that we've already changed societally as uh, the way that we do business. I was speaking with a, a person in real estate today who was describing to me how um, you know, they're doing home showings and how title companies now are doing drive-through signings. And more and more, as I talk to members of Colorado Concern, I'm finding that people everywhere are naturally adapting their practices in, in just kind of incredible ways to make, to make things work. I was discussing with one of the executives in the Denver market of Chick-fil-A who noted that one of their stores, now they're drive-through only right now, one of their stores had the highest uh, re per day revenue in history, in the history of this store. <laughs> so some very interesting things are happening. We talk about getting back to normal, but I guess the question is, will we, will we ever really get back to normal or does this, does this change everything? Yeah, that, this is a really, really interesting and important question, I think, for organizations individually to contemplate and to think about. So right now, workers are at home. They're being productive, by and large. It looks like efficiencies are, in many cases, being maintained, and that's a good thing for organizations. Companies are considering this as an opportunity to maybe even reduce cost if they can reduce their footprints, say, in an office building or something like that, and enable their employees to, to continue to work from home even after COVID. So something like that you can imagine would be very beneficial for the environment. It would be beneficial maybe for families, having mom and dad home more often, things like that. But there are also some implications that I think should be thought about in the broader scheme of things. So for example, the dehumanization of workplaces is what you might refer to that as, would have some consequences. It possibly could affect innovation. There have been a number of folks who have kind of brought that up as a, as a possibility. And I, there has also been a number of people who have said that this could speed up the automation process at work. So what that means is robotics and artificial intelligence could take a larger role in the, uh, in the workplace. So again, the dehumanization effect of not having your employees around as much might lead you to think, well, you know what, why don't I have a robot do this? I mean, I don't interact with this person on a daily basis anyway. We hardly ever see each other. The work that's being done can be done uh, through some technology. And that kind of thing, again, sort of speeds up the process that we're already seeing in so many industries. So the implication might be that we would need to consider, even just from a political perspective, things like universal basic income or other ways of navigating uh, economic development with a new reality of having fewer people interacting at the workplace. 
So lots of interesting questions there too that I think uh, folks are starting to ask and get into as we get through this. Well, I would think the lesson on the business side is if you have not begun to think about this in longer, more innovative terms, um, now probably is a really good opportunity to do that while your work volumes may be lower and you can focus a little bit in that way. Well, it's a fascinating Absolutely. discussion. I'm really happy you've done some research on this and I do hope you'll be open to coming back on. I should give a shout out here to your great chancellor at DU, uh, Dr. Hefner, who's a wonderful member of Colorado Concern and we'd be just delighted to, to partner with you and the university um, as we all kind of move forward together as a society and as a business community specifically. Uh, very, very good. Thank you so much again, Mike. I, this has been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Same here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the In the Arena podcast with Colorado Concern. I hope you'll subscribe so you can stay informed on the intersection of business and politics in Colorado. 